Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, welcome to Where's My Edge today. I'm your host, Chloe Astigay, and this is episode four. This is the fourth episode of my election series. I've covered Donald Trump, Joe Biden, I've explored the ballot measures, the key Senate races, and now I'm going to be talking about voter restriction, the history of it, also ranked choice voting, so a lot of things today. It's going to be a little bit more laid back than last episode, which I would recommend watching if you haven't already. I talked about some really interesting ballot questions that I really think are fun, and then also I put some important resources for voting in the description of that video. If you're interested in looking at the resources for either that video or this video, they're both on my YouTube channel, at Chloe Ostigay, C-H-L-O-E-O-S-T-I-G-U-Y. For now, we're going to be exploring voter suppression and then also ranked choice voting, like I said before. I'm going to kind of go through a list that doesn't really have a clear segue between all of them, if that makes sense. So essentially, I'm going to go from one thing to another, and it's going to kind of seem like a list, but it'll help you understand how... The bigger picture, essentially all of these big things coming together to create voter suppression specifically for minorities in the U.S. So we're going to start with Russian interference in the 2016 election, which I think a lot of people think about when they think about voter restriction. Essentially, Russia decided to, or I don't know if it was Russian officials or if it was just Russian people, but I believe it was Russian officials, created fake accounts as Americans and um, targeted them through Facebook ads toward people who were either minorities or democratic voters and essentially told these people through these ads to either boycott the election or vote for a third-party candidate. Um, In case you were curious, voting for a third-party candidate doesn't work in the United States because of the way that our system is structured. I understand that maybe you want to vote for a third party because you believe in their values more, but that third-party candidate will never win because of the way that our voting is structured. Because we go for a majoritarian model in which winner takes all, it almost consistently creates two parties and will not allow for a third party to win. So that's why they specifically targeted people and told them to vote for a third party candidate because it was essentially throwing away votes. And they did this in order to split the vote between Hillary Clinton and either Jill Stein or Gary Johnson and then allow Donald Trump to win with less than a majority of the votes. So that is how Russia hacked into our election through Facebook ads. Um, There are other ways that they could have done this, but it would have been a lot harder. Targeting Facebook ads proves to be a very easy way for cybersecurity to break down. So that's one way that we think of automatically, just because of the way that that dialogue kind of shaped out. There's also a lot of discussions on voter ID laws. Um, essentially a number of states require either a photo ID or a non-photo ID in order for you to vote at the polls on the day of. Um, Some of these states are a little bit less strict with it and they'll allow you to show up without an ID, but you need to provide a signature and that signature has to match up between your ballot and your original voter registration, which for a lot of people it won't because either they didn't really care about their signature on their voter registration, or they don't really care about their signature on the ballot, and they just don't match up, and then their vote doesn't get cast. So in a lot of ways, these voter ID laws can disenfranchise voters. Specifically, people who are less likely to have a photo ID are people who are homeless, and a lot of minority voters are less likely to have their ID on them. Also, less educated voters, there's a large group of people who are disenfranchised by voter ID laws, even though they seem self-explanatory. 
Um, there are also bills in certain states that are meant to restrict college students, specifically out-of-state college students. So if a student is registered to vote in New York, but their family lives in New Hampshire, they might prefer to vote in New York because they live in New York for a majority of the year. And there are some laws that will change residency requirements in order to disenfranchise college students who live in the states that they want to vote in. So, for example, in New Hampshire, I know that I just said the opposite of what I meant, a student from New York who goes to school in New Hampshire. Pretend it was the other way around. Um, in New Hampshire, they passed a bill called the House Bill 1264, which is essentially requiring out-of-state students to register their cars and to register to drive in New Hampshire. They need to have a New Hampshire driver's license and have their car registered in order to pass the residency requirements. A lot of people will claim, especially the ACLU, claims that this is a form of poll tax because it requires the students to pay extra money to register their cars in both states to which point they might just give up and end up just voting in the state that they are from. So a, a student from New York, as my example was before, but I meant the opposite, whatever. <laughs> um, a student from New York who goes to school in New Hampshire might want to vote in New Hampshire, but they don't want to register their car and register for a New Hampshire driver's license. So instead, they just give up and they vote in New York, even though they would prefer to vote in the state that they live in for the longest. So that's that's kind of a form of voter suppression specifically for college students. There are also some people who would prefer poll taxes and quizzes. So for example, I've had some people propose to me, and I don't know if Jake is watching this, but Jake has proposed at one point that um, poll quizzes would allow for us to have actually educated voters vote. Um, for example, there could be a quiz, a short quiz that says, um, who's the current president, who are your senators, etc., in order to ensure that whoever's voting is actually aware of what they're voting for. However, this has been historically a form of discrimination, specifically in the past, against black people. Um, former slaves would go to vote, but they weren't literate because of the fact that they were slaves. And so they wouldn't be able to pass specific poll quizzes because they weren't literate or because they weren't aware of who the president was because nobody had ever told them. And so in that way, this is a historic way of discrimination. But also in the current time, it is a form of discrimination against people who don't speak English or people who are not necessarily aware of certain things, but still want to vote. This can very much discourage people from voting in states where there is a poll quiz. There are currently no states that require either a poll tax or a poll quiz, um, and that we should definitely keep that keep it that way. Although, as I will explain throughout the next several minutes, there are a lot of ways that Republicans specifically discriminate against minority voters. For example there are poll closures. So in 2019, The Guardian found that over 1,000 polling sites were closed, and a majority of these were in southern states that were led by Republicans. Um, Texas, in particular, closed 750 polling locations in 2019. And then this is a quote from The Guardian's article. The analysis found that 50 counties 
that the 50 counties that gained the most Black and Latinx residents between 2012 and 2018 closed 542 polling sites, compared to just 34 closures in the 50 counties that had gained the fewest Black and Latinx residents. This is despite the fact that the population in the former group of counties, the group of counties that is the that gained Black and Latinx residents, has risen by 2.5 million people, whereas in the latter category, the total population has fallen by over 13,000. So essentially, the there was a group of 50 counties that gained a very small number of Black and Latinx residents and had lost population, and they closed 34 polling locations. But then in the place where more Black and Latinx residents lived, and where the population had actually risen, they closed 542 polling sites. This is an example of a way for them to basically disenfranchise minority voters. So they know that this place is more diverse than that place, and they close more polling locations in the place that has more minority people. So that is, poll closures are a way of doing this. And yes, it doesn't make sense to close polls if you do not have the adequate resources to accommodate a large number of people but regardless this is this is clear racism towards specific counties so that is a way that they discriminate against minority voters um there are also fake ballot boxes in california that have popped up very 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 recently this is not something that we see very often but republicans have created unofficial ballot drop boxes which are legitimately illegal under californian code and they claim that there was a 2016 state law that allows individuals and political parties to collect completed ballots but then the state officials say that the boxes are misleading because they say that they are official ballot drop boxes and they're not and so the fear is that these Republicans that have these ballot drop boxes might discard specific votes based on who they see in the return um, on the return address. So they might see the return address. They might know that that person is specifically a go- going to be voting for a Democrat, and they could toss it out. And that is the big fear in California. So if you live in California and you are seeing unofficial drop boxes, actually, honestly, drop boxes at all, make sure that that drop box is legitimate before you put your vote in it because it could be controlled by a Republican party. They're trying to fight them right now, but there's it's kind of hard given the fact that there are, like, I think 50-plus different um, unofficial ballot drop boxes in L.A. right now, so that's crazy. Additionally, uh, there's gerrymandering. This is the first thing that I've said that is specifically both parties. The other ones were a lot of Republican-related things, but this time it is um, both sides of the aisle that are responsible for gerrymandering. I don't want to go into this extensively because I could literally spend an entire episode talking about this, but essentially every state that has more than one representative in the House of Representatives has to divide their state into sections so that each section has their own representative. Some states that break this up in a way that specifically divides voters on long party lines so that they can have more representatives that are either Republican or Democratic. For example, in the state of Massachusetts, they might see that if you divide along a specific line, that one of the sections would be Republican, and they might purposefully split up the Republican population so that the section, the the representative population, will be Democratic. Um, for an example, just to, to Uh, give more of a visual. Imagine there are 100 people in a room 
and there are an equivalent number of Biden and Trump supporters. There are 50 Trump supporters and 50 Biden supporters. You can create four groups within these 100 people. They could create one section that is a Biden populated section, and then they could create three that were Trump-led groups. So they can take 25 of the 50 Biden supporters and put them in one group, and then they can take the other 25 of the Biden supporters and scatter them across three groups, and then have the Trump supporters dominate those three groups, despite the fact that they could be two groups of Biden supporters and two groups of, of Trump supporters. So that is a way in which they can discriminate against voters through gerrymandering. And this can actually happen on both sides of the, of the ground. You could have three groups of Biden supporters and one group of Trump supporters, despite the 50-50 balance. Um, additional ways, uh, Puerto Rico and D.C. are currently, they both currently do not have voting representatives in the House of Representatives, and they both do not have senators, despite having populations that are further than the existing U.S. states. So first I'm going to talk about Puerto Rico. They are the 31st state or territory in population. Puerto Rico has a stronger population than 29 states in the U.S. Um, it would have four representatives in the House if it had statehood, rather than their current one non-voting member in the House of Representatives, and their zero senators that they have right now would go to two. Um, the territory is currently split on whether or not they want to become a state because some Puerto Ricans don't, do not want to become a state because they want to become their own country, and other Puerto Ricans have kind of given up hope on becoming a country and would rather become a state and be able to have representation in D.C. So that one's a little bit more contested. In D.C., however, they have a larger population than both Vermont and Wyoming, and they currently have one representative that is a non-voting representative in the House. But they also do not have any senators. If they were to have a representative, they would likely only have one because both Vermont and Wyoming only have one. They're also strongly in favor of statehood, and they've even proposed a new name called the State of Washington Douglas Commonwealth, which is after Frederick Douglass, the abolitionist. Um, in, since 1970, they've also been proposing New Columbia as the name of their state, but the Douglas Commonwealth has become a more popular proposal. Um, regardless, D.C. is much more in favor of becoming their own state, so that is more likely to happen. An additional way of voter restriction is through um, misinformation. Trump talked very, very frequently throughout the debate about how voting by mail causes fraud. There's no formal proof that that's a thing, and you can go to the link in the description to a BBC article that essentially backs that up. There is no formal proof of widespread postal fraud. So essentially, the last thing I want to talk about is the Electoral College. I'm going to be talking about this in much more detail next week because I went through the entire Wikipedia article on the Electoral College and popular votes in every single election since the beginning of the country, and I found some really, really, really fishy shit. But essentially, the Electoral College in the U.S. allows a president with less than the majority of the votes to win the presidency because most states take all of their Electoral College votes and they give them to the majority in their state, it's possible for a, for a president to, presidential candidate to win the popular vote, but not actually win the election. Uh, this happened has happened four times. Once in 1876, Rutherford B. Hayes won 47.92% of the popular vote, um, which was less than Samuel Tilden, who had 50.92% of the popular vote. Um, but 
Rutherford B. Hayes won because he had 185 electoral votes compared to Tilden's 184. In 1888, Cleveland, who was the incumbent, lost with 48.63% of the vote in comparison to Benjamin Harrison, who had 47.8% of the vote. But Benjamin Harrison, despite having less of the popular vote, had 233 electoral votes compared to Cleveland's 168, which is insane. That is a super crazy thing because he had more of the popular vote, but he has a significantly less amount of the electoral vote. Um, Al Gore in 2000 got 48.38% of the vote, which was almost a percentage point ahead of Bush, but Bush won because he had 271 electoral votes to Gore's 266. This was specifically a situation in which Florida decided the election. Florida often decides our election because of the way that the electoral college is set up. And then obviously in 2016, Hillary had 48.8% of the vote, which was 2% more than Trump, but she got 227 electoral votes and Trump got 304. That is insane to me. I do not understand how we structured our government in such a way that the popular vote would not decide. Um, there have been some propositions by various states that they have banded together and said that they will take all of their votes and make it so that whoever wins the popular vote will win the electoral vote which most of these states are democratic, but essentially they say that they will propose all of their votes, all of their electoral college votes will go toward wh whoever wins the popular vote, and that will overrule anything that the other states do, which could be really helpful in the case that that comes to become a problem again in 2020. If this continues to happen instead of just these four times that it's happened, then maybe we need to reconsider the Electoral College. And you might have heard that Electoral College should be abolished. A lot of people believe this, and I think that this could become a problem this year, and that is a reason to get rid of it. Um, so now I'm going to go into ranked choice voting very, very, very briefly. Essentially, this is a form of voting that allows us to get a ballot and rank our preferred candidates. Essentially, how it works is you get your ballot and you get to rank your top three candidates in order of who you prefer. So does everybody else. And then when the votes are counted, they tally up everyone's first choice. If none of the candidates receive 50% or higher of everybody's first choice, they eliminate whoever among the ballot has the least amount of votes. So let's say, um, actually, I'll give my analogy after I explain it fully. Then the vote counters take the candidate with the least percentage of the vote and they take them off the ballot. Anyone who placed that candidate first will now have their second choice considered and so on until somebody gets 50% of the vote. So to give an analogy, because I think this is kind of hard to explain in abstract terms, let's say um, the 2016 election, there are three candidates. There's Trump, Clinton, and Jill Stein. So those three people are going up against each other. You get your ballot and you say, okay, I prefer Jill Stein. I think Jill Stein's cooler. I'm going to put Jill Stein first. And then my second candidate is going to be Clinton. And then my third candidate is going to be Trump. So I have ranked them in terms of preference. I have Jill Stein, then Clinton, then Trump. Your state goes to count the votes. They count your first choice first. They, they count Jill Stein first. And so they go through all of your vote, all of the votes of everybody in your state, and they only count the first choice. And what happens is um, Clinton gets 49% of the vote, Trump gets 47% of the vote, and Jill Stein gets, wait, 49, 47, 4% of the vote. So then they go, okay, 
So nobody has over 50% of the vote right now based on everybody's first choice. So we're going to get rid of Jill Stein because Jill Stein has only 4% of the vote. And then we're going to see who would win over 50% if we get rid of Jill Stein. So anybody who, like you, chose Jill Stein first will no longer have their first choice considered. That first choice is gone. And instead, their second choice will be considered. So your second choice was Hillary Clinton. So your vote will now go toward Hillary Clinton instead of Jill Stein. Um, they tally up everybody's votes, and but without Jill Stein as a candidate. And they figure out, oh, okay. So without Jill Stein being considered, 51% of the vote was Clinton and 49% was Trump. So now, with all things considered, getting rid of Jill Stein as a candidate because she got less of the vote means that Clinton will win this state, right? So this allows for not only for people to vote for a third-party candidate without being afraid, but it actually could allow for a third-party candidate to actually win, which is insane. That is that is really crazy. Um, there are only a couple of states that have this, right? Well, there's only one state that has it in presidential elections, and that's Maine. Um, but there are other states that have proposed certain things. Alaska, Hawaii, Kansas, and Wyoming all used this for their presidential primary earlier this year, but they did not do it, and they're not going to be doing it in their current election. And then Alaska and Massachusetts are currently proposing ranked choice voting in presidential elections. Um, there was a kind of a slow rollout in Maine. At first, in 2018, they used it for only state and federal primary elections. Um, and then in 2020, they used it for a federal presidential election that's coming up. And then in 2024, they'll also be using it for the presidential primary. So essentially, they're doing it very slowly and very methodically so that voters will be able to understand what is on the vote as it rolls out. Essentially, it's all of these times that they're doing it is like a practice run. So why exactly does this matter? I do want to give the caveat that my friend gave me. Thank you, Perna. She essentially uh, gave me a reason why ranked choice voting could not be a good idea, because I honestly was like, there is nobody who thinks that this is a bad idea. And she was like, well, I believe that it's a good idea, but there is the potential that less educated voters or those who are not fluent in English might have a hard time with the format of a ranked choice vote, um, which is possible. So this could disenfranchise voters who are either less educated or do not speak English. And so that could become a problem. Um, but essentially, ranked choice voting could be more helpful toward people who have a preference for a third-party candidate. And it would allow, as I said before, third-party candidates to have a more likely chance of winning. And it could also mean that, um, that the person that actually wins the election in that state represents more of the voters. And that's that's important. So essentially, this would make our elections more democratic without explicitly benefiting one party or another. Like in my example, I said Clinton would win, but in some cases, maybe Trump would win because a majority of the people in that state would prefer Trump over Clinton if they weren't given a third party option. So I thought that that was very interesting. So if you are in Alaska or Massachusetts, vote yes on ranked choice voting. I really, really, really hope that you do. Uh, this is a game changer for how elections operate and could also allow for much less partisanship just across the board. Third party candidates could be more likely to win in those two states. I'm really, really excited about this and I think that you should be too. Um, as always, you can watch episodes on my YouTube channel at Chloe Ostigai, C-H-L-O-E-O-S-T-I-G-U-Y, and you can look in the resources in the description below the video to see all of the things that I used for my research. 
and also some extra videos that you might be interested in looking at, including a better explanation of ranked choice voting. You can also follow me on Instagram at Where's My Mind Today. Next week, I'm going to continue to talk about voter disenfranchisement because I did some personal archival research using Wikipedia, so it's kind of informal, but whatever, um, and was amazed at what I found about the Electoral College, and I'll also be talking about the House of Representatives and the number of representatives that represent different number of people. So thank you for listening, and I hope I see you next week. This show is written, produced, and edited by me, Chloe Ostagai. Artwork is by Caitlin Howard. Music is by Jack Noah. You can find his social media in the description of the show or in the description below every YouTube video. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week.